On this episode of Run Jump Stomp, are single player games too long? The PS5 is coming, the Xbox One is sad, and the Epic Game Store is serving up some competition. Those stories and more on this episode of Run Jump Stomp. If you want to get Run Jump Stomp and my other shows ad-free for as little as a dollar, check out patreon.com slash runjumpstomp. Big thank you to the patrons who support my work. Let's get in to the first story of the day. Reach from his Pac-Man. All right, our first story of today is a topic, uh, not necessarily a news topic, but it's a topic that uh, I, I've been kind of fighting with mentally for a few years and that is the length of single player games. As I get older and have an increasingly finite amount of time to sit down and enjoy a video game, and it certainly doesn't help that I do three podcasts because that soaks up a lot of my time. Uh, but I, I have less and less time to play games. And as 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 this phenomenon has kind of uh progressed through life i have finished fewer and fewer games i remember when i was younger and uh, my job didn't really require me to do anything outside of work whereas my job now as a teacher i have to do things outside of work all the time in order to improve and and make things better for my students but you know having other jobs i didn't really have to worry about work when i left work I worked when I was at work, and when I wasn't at work, I did whatever I wanted. And, you know, these days, I'm and, and certainly not complaining because I love my job, but uh, these days, you know, I go to work, and when I come home, I do some extra work, and then I also work on three podcasts, and I've got three kids, and I've got a wife, and we have cats, and there's all these other things to do. I have trouble finishing games, and, you know, quite often, I will jokingly say something along the lines of I can't finish this game because I don't have the attention span for it and while that might be partially the case it also is the case that I just don't have the time to finish a game before the next cool thing comes along and distracts me now is that because I have a short attention span maybe uh, but it also might just be that I don't have the time to play all of these games that I want to play. In in fact, I have games that I have uh, purchased and still have yet to play. And I know that I'm not alone in this. And And as I play a single player game, I will enjoy very much what I'm doing in the game, but then... I usually get to a point and some other game comes out and I see it and I'm like, oh man, I really want to play that. And I I, I always kind of want to play it now when the game is in the certain zeitgeist so that I can uh, be part of that conversation. You, you always, you, you never want to feel like you've missed out on something by not being part of that conversation, by, by uh, waiting until much later to play a game. So I I always think to myself foolishly, hey Bill, uh you can just 
play check out the new game and you know you can come back to this but i never go back to the old game if that makes sense and that's why i tend not to finish games also it i mean I, again not complaining i get a lot of review copies for games now a lot of people will look at various websites out there and they'll say well these guys are reviewing all kinds of stuff and bill is you know, doing first looks and stuff. Well, that's because I'm one dude doing three podcasts and checking out all these games, trying to make sure that that people get to see what these games look on YouTube or on Twitch or wherever. And uh, it, it's tough for me to get through a game before the next review code comes in. In fact, it almost sometimes feel like they 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 come rolling in in bursts where I'll get like uh seven or eight review codes and they're all releasing within a week of each other i'm like how in the hell am i gonna am i gonna do all this uh but again i'm kind of a a weird case uh as far as it comes to uh finishing games however even if i didn't have all these review codes i don't know that i'd finish most of the games that i play because it's I, I almost feel like many games overstay their welcome, especially the kind of games that I really like. I really like a good JRPG. And sometimes I feel like a good JRPG, the developers always feel like, well, it's a JRPG. I guess we better make sure that we pack 100 hours of content into, into this thing. And I can understand that. But for me, I would prefer that the game itself be much shorter. Um, they almost always overstay their welcome with me. And it's not because the game hits a certain point and is suddenly bad. But at a certain point, things are kind of getting re repetitive, uh, where I'm kind of doing the same thing. And that's what JRPGs are like. Why are you complaining, Bill? I don't know, because I am. Uh, anyway, I tweeted out uh, a question uh, to see what you guys think, because this is your thoughts on games. And uh, I said, uh, topic for Friday's episode of Run Jump Stomp, are single player games too long? Vote in the poll and reply with your reasons. We'll discuss on the show. If you don't follow me yet on, on uh, Twitter, at Run Jump Stomp, and use the hashtag RJSPod, that's R-J-S-P-O-D, that way I can uh, separate the tweets that come to me from the for the different shows that I do. All right. Uh it's a bug hunt man tweeted. Uh it's a balance between quality and quantity. A game should have a decent enough length to feel like I got my money's worth, but don't waste my time with needless filler and fetch quests to artificially extend the playtime. And I I totally agree with what what bug hunt is saying here. That's what I often find happens in games is that the developers, in order to put something... I, I know, we don't really have boxes much these days. But in order to put a thing on the box of this many hours of content, you know, they feel like they have to throw in a bunch of filler quests that 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 do waste my time. And sometimes these filler quests are optional. And that's great. But it doesn't always feel like they're optional because sometimes you need to do it in order to level up your characters high enough in order to take on the next boss. So then it becomes non-optional, I guess. And this is not scripted, by the way, so I'm just kind of going off the cuff. Uh, I guess what would be perfect for me is if 
these filler quests were just marked as filler. And I would be like, okay, I don't need that. And the game is designed so that when you, if you just do all of the main story quests in, in a game, then you will easily be the right level in order to defeat the boss if you're using good strategy. And if you suck, then, uh, and you're bad at the strategy or the tactics or the, the gameplay mechanics, then you can go do filler quests to make your characters just a little bit more powerful in order to overcome that. All right. Um, at Ether One, uh, also known as Vaxer, one of the best robots that I know, uh, said that some of them are too long and some of them are just fine. And the mediocre gamer uh, agrees with Vaxer. And I, I also think that I agree with Vaxer. Some of them are great and some of them are terrible. Mikey B. Plain says, I agree with Vaxer and Joel. It depends on the genre. And that's also true. Some genres, the games are like really, really short. Uh, and then others, they are exhaustively long. Uh, so for instance, uh, Hellblade just came out on the Nintendo Switch. I haven't played it myself yet, but I've heard that that game is about seven hours long. Uh, kind of a bite-sized game. Whereas you play something like Xenoblade Chronicles X, or not X, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, sorry. Um, you play that on the Nintendo Switch, and that's like a 200-hour game, or a 100-hour game that you can keep playing for longer if you want. So it does depend on the genre. Uh, it depends on the genre a lot. And it, maybe my problem is, is that the genre that I prefer seems to be designed for people who have far more time than I do. So perhaps I'm just being ridiculous. Uh, ben and Max Gaming on Twitter replied. They said, I like being engrossed in a game. And if it's single player, a longer game means more to do. If it's a game I'm playing, wait, let me reread that. If it's a game I'm playing, then it's one I enjoy. So why wouldn't someone like having a longer time to do what they like. And this is a completely valid point. I totally get what Ben and Max are saying here. The thing to keep in mind is, can you, or, or do may, maybe Ben and Max doesn't run into the same issue that I do, where they just can't seem to finish the game before the next game comes out. Uh, and, and, and I know that there's people who are, who are getting ready to tweet at me or whatever, and they're, or they're shouting at their phones uh, or at their headphones, they've taken their headphones off and they're yelling at them. And people in the store are like, what is wrong with that person? Um, they're shouting at their phones and they're saying, Bill, you don't have to play everything. I know. But maybe I do. I don't know. Like there's something wrong with me that that means that I, I see a game and I'm like, oh, man, I got to check that out. All right. Leo Stern. Uh, or no, at Leonard Stern, sorry, uh, replied. They said, games are best served. Actually, I think this might be the best reply in the whole bunch. Uh, or the one that I agree with the most. I suppose I should qualify that. Um, Leonard Stern says, games are best served when a campaign can be achieved in 6 to 15 hours, but has additional content for those who want more. Odyssey is a great example. I'm assuming he means Mario Odyssey, not Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Um You'd think there would be, you'd think more would go this route since it would encourage more game purchases, but satisfy the people that want 60 hours of content. That's a really good point. Um, and and I, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, look, 
when I played Legend of Zelda, you can finish that game in like four hours or something. But it took me 200 or well, probably 100 hours to beat it the first time. And then I spent another 100 hours doing the the hard mode. Um, so that's the kind of game that I feel like is perfect for people like me who can say, look, I've had enough of this game. Let's go to that final boss and kick its tail. Or uh, then there's there's the other people who say, I want to explore every nook and cranny of this game like an English muffin. And I want to make sure that I found every single doodad and collectible or Korok seed, yahaha, uh, that you can find in this game before I go to the boss. And I I feel like uh, games that allow you to do that tend to be games that I enjoy the most. Anyway, I would love to hear what you guys think. Uh, shout at me on Twitter at RunJumpStomp. Use the hashtag RJSPOD or use the Anchor app and call in. I'll play your calls after the show. All right, let's move on to an interview about the PS5. Hey, who's telling this story? Well, who's telling the story? Mark Cerny is telling the story. He was interviewed by Wired Magazine, and he discussed some of the expected features of the PS5. I'm not going to read the whole article to you because you can read. Uh, In fact, if you want to read the article, go to the show notes, which I keep over at runjumpstomp.com, and uh, you can read the show or you can read the article yourself. All right. But the biggest takeaways here, um, first off, the PS5 not coming out in 2019. Uh, He said it won't even be close to 2019. So what am I expecting? I'm expecting probably holiday 2019, although it is perfectly possible that Sony could look at how successful the Nintendo Switch has been, which launched in March. Typically, video game consoles launch around holiday seasons. And the reason for that is because that it's a big purchase, and a lot of times people can more easily justify making a large purchase like that when it's around Christmas time. Nintendo kind of bucked the trend with its March, and I think that, um, I think a, a Sega, I, there was another console that did this as well. I can't remember which one. Maybe it was the PS1? I can't remember. Um, but Nintendo kind of bucked this trend of launching it in, in the holidays, but they launched it. They had a soft launch uh, in March, and then they spent that whole year uh, releasing game after game after game so that when Christmas hit, the production problems that they would have at the beginning because Nintendo always tends to have production problems when they're um, launching a console. The production problems that they had would be ironed out and the launch li- or the, I guess I'm using air quotes, but you can't see them because it's an audio show. The, the launch library would be a um, much larger because in March of 2017, when the switch launched, it had a tiny little um, launch library. But by the time uh, Christmas rolled around. It had not only a Mario game, but also a Zelda game and a and, and Splatoon, and just those three would have been enough. But it also had a bunch of other stuff as well. So uh, don't expect it for 2019. But could we see it in spring of 2020? That is a very very interesting uh, question. 
And only time will tell. What do you guys think it's going to launch? Let me know. Um, it's going to support ray tracing. Now, I'm going to explain what it is because I, th- I feel like a lot of people are like me and we're like, ooh, ray tracing sounds fancy. I don't know what it is. I watched this video on uh, what ray tracing is. It was from a lady who works at Pixar and she was explaining how they use ray tracing in order to figure out what what color to make a pixel. And that's basically what ray tracing is. Ray tracing, uh, basically think of your camera, like a not a real camera, but your camera in the game as looking at a scene and you draw a line from the quote unquote lens of that camera to a spot in the game and it determines, okay, this this pixel would be red and the one next to it would be green. And because what ray tracing really allows a developer to do is have softer edges that look more realistic, uh, better reflections and things like that. So it makes the world a lot more immersive. And that's what ray tracing does. Uh, Recently, ray tracing has been talked about a lot, and I've kind of ignored it because I don't play many PC games these days. But uh, NVIDIA launched their RTX series of cards, and they keep talking about ray tracing, ray tracing, ray tracing. Well, guess what? On consoles, it's not an option. Apparently, on the PS5, it will be. And this is going to uh, make things look very, very pretty. However, uh, Mark Cerny doesn't says that the ray tracing is also useful for audio as well. And here's his quote. He said, if you wanted to run tests to see if a player can hear a certain audio source or if the enemies can hear the player's footsteps, ray tracing is useful for, useful for that. It's all the same thing as taking a ray through the environment. So like almost like this is really interesting to me, the way that he said this. When you just sit in your house and listen to the people moving around in your house, you know, there might be somebody on the other end of the house that's doing jumping jacks and you won't know because the sound has to travel through all of these uh, curves and twists and turns so that by the time that the sound wave gets to you, it's uh, a lot of a lot of its energy has been absorbed by the thing it's reflecting off and you don't hear it. But then somebody's walking uh, in the hallway down from whatever room you're in, and you can hear them as they pass. This is something that I think he's, this is what I think he means when he says that ray tracing can be useful for that. Uh, It can, right now, I would assume that basically if if an enemy can hear your footsteps in, in, in current games, that's because they're within a certain distance of you, and it probably doesn't take into account the fact that there's a wall between you two or what that wall is made of. If you can add that information into the game and your system is powerful enough to be able to figure out that a concrete wall is going to absorb more uh, sound than, let's say, a, uh, I don't know, a sheet between you, then that's going to affect whether or not the enemy can hear you or whether or not you can hear the enemy. Uh, Very, very interesting. I hadn't thought about how ray tracing would be used in both graphics and audio. Uh, Speaking of audio, uh, he said that the PS5 will have a custom audio chip 
just for 3D audio. So it should make surround sound gaming uh, more useful. Uh, I, I think I feel like a lot of times, like uh, let's say I'm playing uh, a game like Fortnite, and somebody is above me. Well, I can tell that they're either above or below me because of where the sound is from my headphones, but I can't tell which direction. And if for the PS5 to have a built-in 3D audio chip, that might make it easier for me to be able to tell that. I'm not sure. Maybe maybe it's a limitation of my headphones, although I have some pretty expensive headphones that, that have some good features, but maybe that's not the feature set that it has. Okay, uh, let's talk about a different way that the PS5 is going to be a big upgrade. And it's not something that people usually think about. People usually think about, okay, graphics and graphics and graphics. That's what they think about. But what they don't think about tend to be tends to be storage. And the way that the PS5 is going to be different is its storage is going to be on an SSD. Now, I have a Windows machine. And probably last year sometime, I can't remember exactly when, but last year sometime... I bought an SSD for my Windows machine and I uh, put it in and oh my God, I have never seen such a boost in performance as I did when I went from a traditional spinning hard drive to an SSD. It was insane how fast things boot and load and are, are found. It's great. I'm a huge fan of SSD. And having an SSD will improve load times. However, in fact, Mark Cerny had a PS4 Pro there and a PS5. You couldn't see the PS5. I guess it was like in a silver case so that you couldn't see what it looked like or whatever. Um, but he also had a PS5 there and he loaded up Spider-Man and uh, he showed a fast travel uh, section where you you fast travel from one part of the map to the other. Now, when you fast travel from one part of the map to the other, the game has to unload all of the stuff that's around Spider-Man that's in memory now, and then take the spot where Spider-Man's going to load into the game and start grabbing all of that information off the disk, put it into RAM, and then start drawing that, that scene around him. By having an SSD, all that loading and unloading happens so much faster so it took 18 seconds to load on the ps4 pro and it took 0.8 seconds to load on the ps5 so fast travel is essentially instantaneous now at the end of the day you might look at that and say well who really cares i mean if you can't spend 18 seconds waiting for your game to load then what is your problem and I totally get that argument. It makes a lot of sense to me. 18 seconds is really not that long a time. However, it's not just about the load times. Load times are, and having, having fast load times is cool. I'm happy about that. But having an SSD means that the game world itself would be able to load things in much faster. So let me give you an example, and I'm, I'm and this is just off the top of my head. Uh, let's let's use Spider-Man as, as an example, a game that I bought but not played yet. Uh, and don't yell at me. My son played the whole thing and loved it. Um, but 
let's use Spider-Man as, as an example. In order to keep the load times down to 18 seconds, the game probably has to say, okay, well, we can only load in this many objects in this amount of time. And in order for the game to run well and have things not pop in, you've probably all played a game like this before where you're moving along and then suddenly uh, an object or a character just pops in out of nowhere. That's because the game was not loading everything in before you got there. Maybe your character was moving too quickly and the game didn't get a chance to load that into memory and render it before your character got within view of it. Does that make sense? So in order to make a game run smoothly and avoid that pop-in, the game has to look at all of the limitations. Maybe the limitations is how fast rendering can happen. But maybe one of the limitations is how fast can we get information from the hard drive of the machine into RAM so that we can do something with it and put it on screen. And maybe a developer might say, well, let's limit the number of objects or characters that can be loaded into a scene at any one time by, uh, uh, in order to avoid pop-in. Now with an SSD, you can load things so much faster. And because you can load things faster, that means you'll be able to have these things in RAM and ready to render. So that means you can have more things in the game. What do I mean? I'm sure you all have played a game at some point and you're wandering around and you're just like, man, this feels empty. Like the world itself feels empty and dead. One of my favorite examples would be an MMO. Like you go to a giant city and an MMO and you're walking through this giant city and sure there's other characters and stuff around. But let's say that you go back like, all right, I'm just going to use World of Warcraft as an example because it's the most popular MMO that's ever existed. Every time a new expansion in World of Warcraft comes out, the main hub where people tend to gather moves to someplace else uh, because that's where all the quests are and stuff like that. If you go back to one of the old places where there's not a lot of players around and you walk around one of those old cities, those old cities feel absolutely dead because there's no there's not enough NPCs wandering around in that town to make it feel like it is a living and breathing world. Having an SSD in the PS5 will allow uh, developers to add more stuff and make the game world feel more alive. It's not just about having prettier graphics. It's all about, it's also about having a more immersive world. And this is why I think an SSD is a really, really important uh, addition to next gen consoles, uh, both the PS5 and hopefully the Xbox, whatever. Uh, and, you know, maybe the Nintendo Next or whatever it's going to be called uh, after the Switch. Okay. I mentioned graphics. Uh, Sir, uh, what's his damn name? I forgot. Mark Cerny. Uh, I almost said CERN because, uh, you know, I'm a science nerd. Um, but Mark Cerny also said that the PS5 will support 8K. I don't know if that means like true 8K, like native 8K, or is it just upscaled? And there's no way to know. He didn't, he didn't really get asked about that. 
Uh, but those are the biggest takeaways from this article. And I highly suggest you go in and check out the article yourself. We've talked about PlayStation. Let's go to the other side of the coin. The Atari 2600. Now get up to $30 in rebate offers plus a free Pac-Man. A free Pac-Man with your go all digital with the disc-free gaming. That's right. The Xbox One S All Digital Edition, or as we've all come to t- to call it now, the Xbox One SAD, S-A-D. Uh, it has a price, and there's a reason that the Xbox One is SAD. The price is $249, and I think that that's too much. I think that that's too much. Now, here's the reason I think that's too much. If I go to Amazon. In fact, I'm going to load Amazon up right now. And so if you hear the keyboard clicking in the background, don't be upset. Uh, Xbox One S. Let's find out how much an Xbox One S is selling for right now. All right. So we've got the Anthem. And well, people don't, people get mad about Anthem. Okay. Here's a, here's a better example. The Xbox One X, one terabyte console, Battlefield 5 bundle. How much would you pay? Well, how much would you pay? You'd pay $229. That's what you'd pay. $229. Now, I know the MSRP, the manufactured suggested retail price, the MSRP for the Xbox One S, one terabyte console, Battlefield 5 bundle, is $299.99, and Amazon is selling it for $229.90. Why are they doing that? Well, it always seems to be on sale. Like, it's, it's not really an amazing sale right now. It just always seems to be that price. Microsoft has simply decided not to lower the MSRP, but they are, they're being a little manipulative here. All right. They're not lowering the MSRP. So it always looks like it's on sale. And if you see something that's on sale, you're much more likely to buy it. There's a, I can't remember what it is. There's um, I think I have a shortcut for it on my phone that will check uh, how much a thing has costed over the course of time on Amazon. It'll give you like a little, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It'll give you a little graph. So if I go to my phone and I type in, um, not Amazon, I want to type in Xbox One S and I'm searching for it. And here we go. I'm going to use, uh, on iOS, we've got these things called shortcuts. And I've got a shortcut that will check the the average price of this thing over a long period of time. And uh, this is wonderful audio, by the way. Amazon price history. Uh, it's go to camelcamel.com to do this. And right now, the, yeah, there you go. Okay, so it's camel camel. The average price, you know, it goes up and it goes down. Uh, right now, two twenty nine for the Xbox One S one terabyte console Battlefield Five bundle. Whereas I can spend more money and not have the option to use a disc for the Xbox One S one terabyte all digital console Xbox wireless controller with Minecraft Sea of Sea of Thieves and Forza Horizon Three. Okay, this one comes with three games. That's great. I want to know if you can buy one that doesn't come with three games and how much that costs. Because I'll bet you that that's $199.99. And for some reason, Microsoft has decided 
that what they wanted to do is bundle everything uh, like these three games in. And this, I, I feel like it's just a bad, bad idea. So right now I'm looking at the, uh, I'm at the, I'm, I'm browsing to see if there's, yeah, that's the only option for the all digital edition. It, it comes with those three games. What if you don't want Sea of, Sle- sea of Thieves, Forza, or Minecraft? I have played Minecraft to, to death. I'm done with it. I don't need any more Minecraft. Sea of Thieves, I'm not really interested in. Forza Horizon 3, I don't like racing games unless they're cartoony and bananas. So get rid of these things and give it to me for a cheaper price, and then I might buy it. But making it $249, I think, is a huge mistake. Now, what what I think the argument uh, for against what I'm saying here I think the argument that, that people might say is, well, okay, Bill, but the MSRP for the the one that you looked up was $299.99, and it's always on sale for usually around $250. This one has an MSRP of $250. It'll probably usually be on sale for $199.99. Okay, maybe it will be. But I feel like this is a bad move on Microsoft's part. They should have come out at $199.99 for this. Does that mean that the disk drive is worth $100? No. And am I saying that uh, it's worth $100 to me to have a disk drive? No. But when you look at an Xbox, we're coming up on the tail end of the life of this machine. And for me to get in on Microsoft stuff now, you have to really have a good deal. Because I know, I don't, I don't want to spend $250 on this now only to have Microsoft say, and here's the Xbox 2. And then I'm like, oh, damn it, I just threw that money away. Son of a, you know what? Does that make sense? So if, if this had been the price of it a year ago, or maybe a year and a half ago, or maybe two years ago, then I think it works. But to be this close to the end of the console's life and have them forcing you to bundle in those three games that you may or may not want and having the price sit there at $249.99, I think that was a mistake. And I think that uh, the Xbox One S all-digital version will indeed be the Xbox One S sad. Sonic 2 handles stubborn stains, embarrassing bald spots, no problem. All right, Randy Pitchford. He works over at uh, or at uh, Border. He works on Borderlands, right? And they recently had announced that they were going to be an exclusive on the Epic Games Store. Let me take a drink real quick. And um, he had like this tweet storm uh, where he wrote a ridiculously long article and did it in as a series of tweets. Now. Uh, somebody awesome on Reddit took all of those tweets and put them into uh, one thing that you could read everything. It was, it was slaw fp user slaw fp on on uh, Reddit, and they put all of the things that he said in, as one article. So it's a little more easy to comprehend because of that 240 character limit on Twitter makes it kind of hard to read things like this. Uh, Randy, next time, just, you know, do a blog post or something. I don't know why you had to do it on Twitter. Uh, Anyway, I went through 
and I, I selected the biggest quotes, the biggest takeaways, and I'm going to read them and respond. All right. Epic. Uh, so here, here's uh, the first quote that I pulled out of it. Epic has published a near-term roadmap. This roadmap includes a, oh, you know what I should do? I should really explain. A lot of people are upset because Borderlands 2 is going to be an exclusive on the Epic Game Store, and it's not going to be on Steam. And this is his response to that. I don't know if I said that. Uh, so here's what he said. He said, Epic has published a near-term roadmap. This roadmap includes a look into things they're committing to. If I were a betting man, I would expect that there are more things that happen than what they are committing to. So basically saying, look, they said that they're going to do X, Y, Z. My guess is they'll probably do X, Y, Z as well as one, two, three. Does that make sense? Uh, he says, we also must acknowledge that Borderlands 3 does not exist today, but rather it will exist in September. The store, the Epic store, he's saying, the store will be different when the game launches. It will become a boon to their store if they bring sufficient features to make the customer experience great for us. Epic will suffer if by the time Borderlands 3 launches, the customer experience is not good enough. Okay, I can't argue with anything that he said there. I can't. I think it makes perfect sense. And and by the way, uh, just to make sure that everybody understands where, like what page I'm on, I am not, I, I, I don't like exclusives. So the fact that um, I think it's 2K Games is publishing uh, this on the Epic Games Store and not on the Steam Store, I think that's bad for the industry as a whole. However, what he just said, I can't, I can't find fault with. Okay. Uh, he goes on to say, from a track record point of view, my expectation is that Epic's investment in technology will outpace Valve's substantially. And keep in mind, he worked on he worked at Valve for a while. Uh, when we look back at Steam in five or ten years, it may look like a dying store, and other competitive stores will be the place to be. Okay, I, I will say this. Valve has spent a long time sitting on their hands doing nothing. And I believe that he has a good, another good point here. All right, next, next uh, quote. The competitive store that happens to be the leader in 10 years may not be Epic's store, but it probably won't be Valve's. And Epic's moves right now are opening the door and paving the way for a vibrant, competitive community, or I'm sorry, economy. Co competition in stores is going to be absolutely best for consumers and probably good for developers and publishers as well. The stores that tend to win are the stores that offer the best to their customers. It's very difficult for customer interest to be king with one store. Okay, so I agree every, with everything that he said. However, putting your game out as an exclusive to the Epic Game Store in lieu of um, Steam is forcing people to buy from a store that they don't want to buy from because it has, right now, inferior uh, services. Now, his argument to that is, well, in September, things are going to be different. And maybe he is privy to information that we are not privy to, and that's fine. But... I still think that 
they are trying to replace one monopoly with another. Okay, so let, let's let's check out what he says next. Now there is an external force that is real. This external force, the Epic Store, is a really significant threat to Steam. Steam must adapt or it will perish. Almost immediately, we saw Steam crumble its previously unwavering stance on revenue share. Holy that's a miracle. I think the folks at Valve are really smart and really great. And they are also probably starting to redirect investment into their store. If Valve is smart, and they are, they should preemptively maneuver as many resources as possible towards improving their store and preparing for Epic's inevitable challenge to Steam from a features point of view. All right, this is really important. So what I feel like they're trying to do, well, we'll get to that in a second. Um, because Epic Games is coming in and they are, they're, they're not trying to say, look, our store is better, so buy from us. What they're saying instead is, We've got exclusives because we're taking our Fortnite money and investment money and we're throwing that money at developers to get the developers to be on our store exclusively. This is going to cause uh, customers to come to us because they don't have a choice. That's the only way that they get to play these games. The customers are going to come to us and that's going to make us the monopoly. That's how I think Epic is working. However, what I think that Randy Pitchford is saying is, look, what Epic is doing, the ends justify the means. Breaking the Steam monopoly justifies the means that that Epic is doing in order to uh, break that monopoly, okay? Even though a lot of us don't like the way that Epic is doing it, most of us would probably agree that having Steam be the de facto store for PC gaming is not necessarily a good thing in fact it's probably a bad thing at least that's how i feel all right so he goes on and says and so we're going to swallow the epic game store pill with borderlands 3 and some of you guys are going to hate it and scream bloody murder and you'll even blame me personally for it and you can and moan with the brigade and stalk my but at the end of the day when we look back at this moment we'll realize that this was the moment where the where the digital stores on PC, PC became unmonopolized. And we're all going to look back and see how change happened and how cost for developers and publishers to be on the stores went down and how the val- that value was passed on to customers. Okay. So I, I think he's getting a little big for his britches here. Um, like he's saying, look, we are the rescuers because we're agreeing to be exclusively on the Epic Games store. We are part of what's forcing Steam to change its business practices to make things better for the whole industry. I don't know. Maybe. I, I don't think that. Okay. I was about to say I don't think that Borderlands 3 has enough clout to do that, but at the same time, the only reason Steam exists in the first place is because Half-Life 2 came out, and the only way to play it was through was it came with Steam. That was the way that you had to play it, and Steam was an absolute show. Uh, and because it was such a show, 
it was not fun. Like it was, it was actively bad. Over time, Valve kept improving it and improving it and improving it until it wasn't a show anymore. So what what he's saying is by having these big developers publish or the big publishers make their their games exclusive to the Epic Game Store, they're going to light a fire under the ass of uh, of Valve and Valve's going to start to change. And in five to ten years, you're all going to be thanking me for what I did. And and by the way, he he did say at the very beginning, this wasn't my decision. This is the decision by the publisher. He doesn't have input into this decision, but I think he's saying it. He agrees with it. <clears throat> All right, that was a lot to unpack. Um, I I still think exclusives are bad. I think that they could do the same exact thing by publishing Borderlands Three on both Steam and the Epic Game Store, selling it in both places. And letting the customers decide for themselves which was better. And while I agree with most of what he said, I still don't think that the ends justify the means. Because all this is going to end up doing is moving people from the Steam as a monopoly to possibly Epic as a monopoly. Now, what I do think would be great is if if he's right about Steam changing their business practices... Uh, making sure that the review bombing doesn't happen, uh, giving a better uh, revenue share split with the the publishers that are publishing on their platform and improving the features of the store so that naturally people want to go to Steam instead of Epic. And, you know, Epic, stop spending your money to become the next monopoly instead take that money and invest in making the epic games store better and the customers will come to you rather than steam whichever store has the best features that's the one that's going to win and right now it seems like a bunch of people who are fighting over which one gets to win by throwing their pocketbooks at it and i I kind of take offense like that bothers me not enough that I won't use the Epic game store because I do have a couple of games on it. I have, Oh, I can never remember the name of this damn game. It's really, really fun. And I I can't remember. It's a first person, uh, puzzle game. You've heard me talk about it before. I can't remember the name of it. It's got a terrible name, so I can never remember it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, I use the, the Epic Games Store once in a while, but then again, I'm not really a PC guy. I, I am curious as to what you all think about what he was saying. So again, we're at the end of our show. Let's go ahead and wrap things up. Tunnel Runner from CBS Electronics, where the excitement never ends. I'm not trapped. I'm not trapped. And you're not trapped either. We're out of here. So let's wrap up the show. It's super easy to get a hold of me at RunJumpStomp on Twitter. Use the hashtag RJSPOD, and that way I can sort it from my other shows. You can also use the Anchor app. It's super easy to do. It's free. It's on iOS as well as Android. You go to the Anchor app, which I'm trying to find on my phone right now. Where is it? There it is. I found it. You go to the Anchor app. Once you have it, you do a search under under listen. You do a search for run, jump, stomp. When you find it, you're going to see my little cartoon face there looking at the giant letters RJS. 
Uh, you're going to tap on that, hit the star, and then hit the voice message button. Hold the phone up to your head, talk, and I will play it right after this, like right at the end of the show. We haven't been getting calls very much this month, and I know that people are listening because I can see all those downloads happening, but I need you guys to call in and let me know what you think of the show and what you think of the video game industry. I am changing the format of the show just a little bit. It used to be that people would call and I would respond and call and respond, but as it's unreliable to get calls all the time, what I've what I'm doing instead is giving my thoughts on the gaming industry and then taking all of your calls and kind of sandwiching them. Maybe I'll put like one at like uh, my favorite call at the beginning and the rest of the calls at the end of the show. So uh, call in. Let me know that you're listening. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you think of the video game industry. And uh, don't forget to review the show on, over on Apple Podcasts if you use that platform. I'm out of here. I will see you all soon. Stay awesome. Until next time, bye-bye. Music for today's show is Through a Cardboard World by Tony Lays. Make sure you check out their stuff over at runjumpstomp.com slash music. Thanks for listening.